Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Badham. And in this HR Chat, we're going to look at the tech available to help businesses rehire at scale. Listen to as we discuss the moral and ethical implications of using technology to ensure candidates fit with the employer brand. My illustrious, super famous, awesome, wonderful, very, very clever guest today is Brian Sommer. For nearly four decades, Brian has been an award-winning writer, tech industry analyst, and consultant to some of the largest firms around the world. He is considered one of the most respected business technologists in the industry, and Brian's counsel is especially sought after by top execs of global 2000 firms, as as his frank, compelling, and visionary approach just works for them. Brian, welcome to the show today. Great to be here, Bill, and uh, thanks for the invite. Listeners, I've just got to start by saying I'm I'm in awe of my guest today. I I did a lot of, maybe too much reading um, of of uh, of content that he's published over the years as part of the preparation for the interview today. And um, uh, Brian, you're you're just a really really clever guy who knows your stuff, and I'm I'm, I I think that you're going to add so much value today. And um, and I think it's time to jump straight in. So, firstly. After the recession of 08-09, employers were unprepared perhaps for, for the sheer volume of applicants that, that were seeking new employment. This time around, they, they have had time to prepare. They've had the best part of a year and a half to prepare, including in, installing new technology and new processes to make hiring hopefully more, more equitable. What, what do you think is different between the tsunami of applicants back then in 08-09 um, and what's happening now? Well, that's def- well, the biggest change, I think, frankly, is the workforce. And let's just get right into that. I think uh, there are a lot of people, particularly in the United States, that are looking at employment now with a little bit more uh, care and caution. They don't want just a job. They want a great job. And they want to work for a great employer. And, you know, it starts with uh, they look at companies to see, do they have a great recruiting experience? If it's some long, tedious process with lots of delays, way too many callbacks and follow-up meetings and interviews, they're gone. They have no interest in an employer like that. They want less friction, a fast decision. And more importantly, there's so many studies that showed like uh, between roughly 60% of people for the last year and a half got absolutely nothing from career development or mentoring or training. And they're going to be looking for a career path as not just a job. And more importantly, they want a career path that helps them catch up for the time that they lost, not advancing for the last year and a half. So what, you know, what these people also want is they want a livable wage. They don't want some kind of job anymore. Uh, They don't want an employer who's going to use them only like four to 10 hours a week. No, they want... They want a full slate of work and they want to be able to get any benefits that accrue to that. And they don't want to be bounced around between six different gig jobs at the same time. So what we're looking at now is an environment where employers have to do something about creating a recruiting experience. And that includes the technologies and the process and the people involved in recruiting that are going to make people want to fall in love with an employer, not just, um, 
you know, you know, just to get a job. It's not a mechanical process anymore. It's an experience. And I think a lot of companies haven't done enough to prepare for that part of the, of the change. Well, hopefully plenty of them have, have installed new technologies. And I'd love to hear from you now around how AI and machine learning based applications are, are helping to process more video interviews, perhaps rank candidates in, in fairer ways that, than ATS and, and look for people with, with new kinds of values. And I guess part of this answer is going to be around um, th this move to skill based hiring, Brian, over, over traditional ways of hiring people based on past careers. Yeah, theoretically, I think that's what we would expect to see and would want to see. But practically speaking, I don't think that's going to necessarily happen in large numbers. And here's why. A lot of companies still rely on technology like the good old-fashioned applicant tracking system, the ATS. And these things are really kind of an outgrowth of uh, resume scanning and resume scoring technology that started showing up in the early 1990s. The problem with those technologies and um, is they do an absolutely terrible job. Uh, I frequently submit my own personal resume to a number of different job sites just to see what the ATS will think of my own resume. And believe it or not, maybe only one in 18 actually can get my college education correct. I mean, now think about this. Somewhere in the middle of my resume on the first page, it mentions that I've done guest lectures at three or four, you know, grad schools. And uh, the ATSs incorrectly read that. And they come back and say that I attended all of these graduate sco schools of business and never graduated from one of them. Even though at the bottom of my resume, it shows the actual universities I did attend, the dates that I attended and the degrees I got, it never picks them up. The ATS is one horribly screwed up technology. And I've told that to a number of ATS vendors, and I'm not a big fan of it. Anyway, but that's one area. The video interviewing technology also has some problems. Uh, I like the idea of being able to use the video interview to quickly and efficiently capture a lot of information uh, for operational people to review a large volume of candidates. On that aspect, I'm fine with it. What I have problems with is when they start using machine learning and artificial intelligence to interrogate the responses to assess things like, was this candidate telling the truth? Um, what other, you know, how long did they take to answer the question? That may be an indication uh, that they're not maybe the brightest bulb in the box. Um, some of them look at how many oh, syllables are you use or multi-syllabic uh, words in your um, your vocabulary as a proxy for your IQ. And I could go on and on. The problem with using these technologies for that kind of an assessment is AI is something that very few people actually know and know how to correct and adjust if it starts going awry. And what we really need is to be very careful as employers to make sure that we're not uh, throwing out people, let's say, uh, to read facial expressions of people of color is very difficult to do as part of video analysis. And you don't want to necessarily be want to be embracing those kind of technologies that could lock out large numbers of the workforce away from you and exposure firm to potential litigation. So, yes, the tools are out there. I'm just not so sure they are they are ready for prime time even now. 
Oh man, we're we're like six years after Back to the Future two, and, and we're still not ready. Okay, well, you never know. A few more years. Um, th there's there's a lot of talk, Brian, about skills based hiring uh, over and above hiring based on past performance. Right. Um, and and this is something that I, I I'm a big believer in, in in many many industries, not all, um, but many industries. In in a world flipped upside down, one where many people want to. I'm sorry to use the word, uh, to pivot and, and, and take their skills into new industries. How can technology help ensure that those people lacking the, the traditional experience can still get a fair shot? I think this is a very good area for, for companies to examine, particularly those whose average worker age, like a lot of the Silicon Valley firms, is like 27 years old. That's the average age of a worker. So that tells you that they're not valuing and have not valued people who have a lot of past experience and skill. They want youthful individuals who might know something current, but they can get them cheap. Ageism is the problem that... Um, comes about when companies don't look at the total skill capability of people. And I'll give you an example. Show me anybody who's like 35 to 40 years old, has progressed a couple of times in a company. And this is someone who's probably worked through a number of different roles. I'll guarantee you that person has a bunch of different skills that don't necessarily show up on the first page of a resume. And yet a lot of the tools right now that are trying to scan for this kind of stuff, what they do is they make the same mistake all the time. They look at the top half of the first page of a person's resume and they figure out what did this person, what is this person doing in their current job? And that's all they look at. So they never learn what is the totality of the skills and talent that an individual possesses because they don't look beyond the current job or role. And there are a lot of people who've like interrupted their careers to go maybe stay home and take care of an elder parent or uh, during the pandemic, they had to take, uh, they had to help school, homeschool their children, what have you. And yet is any of the, any of the skills or capabilities or whatever that they possessed beforehand or any of those showing up? And the answer is sadly, not in many cases, the best companies and the best recruiters take the time to look at the whole resume and the whole career history of a person to figure out what is the um, essence of the individual and how could they bring all of that experience to bear in their companies. Frankly, I'd much rather take someone into my own firm who's had a wide variety of experiences because I could deploy them on any number of different things. And given how volatile the business community and economy is changing. You need people who can flex. You find a one trick pony kind of employee and they can't flex and they will become a liability sooner rather than later. We'll be right back after this short commercial. This episode of the HR Chat Show is supported by Talent Reef, the only talent management platform purpose-built for location-based high volume sourcing recruiting and hiring. Learn more at talentreef.com. That's T-A-L-E-N-T-R-E-E-F.com. Maybe now you can uh, uh, offer a bit of kudos to, to a few of the companies out there that have done a good job at preparing their HR teams for the rigors of hiring and, and retaining talent in this very, very fierce war for talent that we all are living through mm -hmm. right now. 
Yeah, if you thought we were in a war for talent back, uh, you know, five, eight years ago, whatever, that was just a skirmish for the problems that are going on right now. Um, people, maybe because of some of the government bailouts, maybe it's because of changes in their life circumstances, have decided that they can be more choosy and they are going to do that. But as far as like who's good at this stuff, I'll speak generally by some industries. They, there are some industries that have gotten really good at massive hiring fast. And I would pinpoint the pharmaceutical industry because whenever they've got a new blockbuster drug they're going to drop on the market, they can go from having no employees related to that drug to having three, six, 15,000 employees within 90 days hired up and trained on that new drug and get them out there as uh, representatives talking to physicians all over the world. They get it. And some of the retailers have, and fast food chains have been really good about that. They know how to run and organize around massive job fairs and other kinds of things to bring large quantities of individuals in. They also are not afraid to call the local media up and invite television crews to come see this job fair we're doing. And, you know, some I've seen have attracted like 15,000 people for one day hiring event, and they'll end up making job offers to 800, 1,000, whatever of those people that show up. Now, hiring is one thing. Retention is a different animal altogether. Retention is around, uh, not it's not so much a numbers game, it's around uh, taking the time to pay attention to people and to give them a you know guidance and direction around their career. One of the best examples I've seen there has been in the agribusiness space, where this company is so used to having uh, creating new generations of crops that are ever more immune to new kinds of uh, pests and uh, diseases that affect plants. And as a result, they've created this like the concept of sunset planning. They know that every system, every crop, uh, seed product they make, every um, technology, and even every person in their company has the best used by date stamped on them. And what they do is they create an entire like career plan for each individual. And so that you know that so what if you're being asked to shepherd maybe a product that's in its uh, one of their products that's in its declining markets, you know, phase, that's okay because you already know that two years from now, you're going to be leading the, the rollout of something else to know where your career is going, gives people huge confidence and wants them to take risk and help you deal with some of the other stuff going on in the company because they know they have a future. Retention is about giving people clarity around their career and direction around where their career is going to go. And it needs to be an open communication. It can't just be a surprise that once a year during the annual review, people tell you, well, this is how you did this year and not offer them any guidance as to where they need to go next. When left with no guidance, people will seek true love elsewhere and another employer who will give that to them. People, again, like we said at the top of this column, uh, today's employees now they want they want more of a career, not a McJob going forward.
people will seek true love elsewhere. I love it. I love it. I've never, I've never, I've never had anybody uh, speak about uh, connecting with with an employer brand just like that before. That's awesome. Okay, I want to change tack with you now and talk about something which is uh, a bit more serious and uh, super important, and um, and it's just going to become uh, a bigger part of employees' lives. I, I think. Um, so shortly after the, the capital riots, you, you wrote in an article for, for Diginomica. And, and by the way, listeners, you can check out uh, HR, epi- HR chat episode, uh, I think it's 236 with Phil Wainwright, who's the founder over there. Um, in, in it, you, you highlighted some key questions being asked at the time, which included, can we fire someone whose social media posts indicate political stances that are extreme? And can we fire someone whose social media posts are contrary to, to the company's culture and core values? The, the article goes on to talk about the HR tech that out, that's out there trying to suss out the true character of candidates and employees and, and ways that employees can try and game the system. You wrote, we, we have a bit of a stalemate and an arms race today employers want more insights and information about employees and employees only want to provide information that benefits the employee for every new measure of technology that employers deploy employees and job seekers are developing countermeasures the needle isn't really moving here folks i believe some products may someday provide timely valuable insights into workers but not right now my question for you brian is regardless of if it will happen, should tech vendors continue on this journey to pry into personal lives and views with all the talk about ensuring better affinity between the employer brand and, and the employer and, and being one's authentic self? Is the spying tech, if we call it that, justified or or should it be avoided? So this is a... Um... This is actually an issue that's picking up steam, believe it or not. There was an article in Harvard Business Review this month in the July-August issue, a little tiny article that's called Divided We Hire. I love that title, by the way. Um, I didn't write it. This isn't my piece. And it's just a short summation of a bigger study somebody did called a political affiliation and employment screening decisions, the role of similarity and identification processes by Philip Roth. But anyway, one of the points in there is they were making, they said the following, and I'm going to quote right out of this article. It said, um, organizations could train raiders, recruiters, and organizational managers to avoid making hiring decisions on such job irrelevant, and some might consider it discriminatory information, or dissuade them from reviewing social media websites at all. Now, um, I, I would tell you that I struggle with this because sometimes I have run into people who want to work on projects and they can't leave their politics at home and they want to inject into teams and it creates a corrosive or divisive impact on the team. I don't personally, I don't care what your politics are, but you keep that out of the workplace. That's not where it's supposed to be. And, um, Back to your point about the technology. Oh, I know the technology is there. Over 10 years ago, probably close to 15, I ran into a company that was spidering the web and they could figure out things like they knew who you were, Bill, and they would then figure out who your significant other is. And they would notice things like, oh, 
Well, if Bill's significant other is getting ready, uh, has just accepted a new job in a new city, maybe Bill's open to a relocation or a new job in that city as well. And I thought, ooh, that's kind of creepy. I mean, it's clever that they can figure that out, but it is kind of creepy. And, uh, you know, people don't want to work for companies that appear to be uh, too invasive into their private lives. And I think this is the big challenge for companies. It's always been a challenge with technology that just because a programmer could write something doesn't necessarily mean they should. And where what we're missing in technology right now is a really hard case of ethics training because for the longest time we didn't really need it most most of our hr technology was focused around processing very dull business transactions payroll transactions time and hour entry kind of things and now we have this capability we have access to internal and external big data stores and people want to use this maybe not for the right reasons i know the intent may have been a good idea but how this stuff gets uh, mixed up and misused by others is the real danger. And I think what we need to have is we need to put some real serious ethical guidance around some of the new HR technology today if we want to save our humanity and have a great workforce that people want and a great workplace that people want to work in for years to come. By the way, I, I do want to tell you, there was one company that actually told me that they thought that their best candidates were people who had rowed crew at an Ivy League school and they would make the best Wall Street investment bankers. Now, the problem when people start getting into that kind of levels of granular kind of you know, insights into candidates, they're often chasing things that aren't really founded in factual uh, matters. I asked point blank, by your logic, then the United States never should have trusted, I believe it was Chester Nimitz, to head up the whole Pacific fleet at one point in during World War II. This is a man who grew up in the West Texas desert plains, and his family had to go take a vacation just to see a, uh, a lake, you know, once a year or so. How does a man with that deal, who never got into Ivy League, who never uh, rode crew and everything else, get to be that kind of a commander of a, one of the largest naval fleets in the world? Would it never happened if they'd used this faulty logic in other situations? So I caution people, just because the technology can do something doesn't mean you check your brain at the door and just let it do it. You might want to really challenge why are we doing it and is the science behind it solid? Before we wrap things up for today, how can our listeners connect with you and, and learn more about you? Uh, you'll find I'm all over the Internet, but um, a lot of the pieces I wrote you mentioned earlier end up on Diginomica. But I've, I write, I've written a lot of stuff for some other pubs uh, as well. And uh, there's a, several YouTube things out there and periscopes and other kinds of uh, video deals. Um, you're not going to have too hard a time spotting me, but if you want to get a hold of me, um, don't hesitate to send me an email. It's real easy. Brian at vitalanalysis.com. I'd be happy to respond to any kind of in inbound question or just to say hi, or you can find me on LinkedIn at Brian S. Summer.
awesome yeah. and that that's how that's how you and i connected by uh, by the way listeners uh brian, brian was receptive to me when i sent him a, a half interesting message on linkedin i think um and uh within the space of i don't know about a week uh we got to this point and, and had this interview today so uh uh it does work if, if you reach out with the right questions or uh, the right points um brian thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the hr chat show it was my pleasure and uh Trust me, I think we could have gone on for two or three hours, but you know, <laughs> I, I don't think it, I don't think anybody's got that kind of uh, bandwidth. Uh, but anyway, th <laughs> thanks for the time, and I appreciate it. Um, so good talking to you, Bill. Me too, and um, I'd, I'd love to get you on again in, in the near future, Brian, for sure. Uh, there's so much more I could learn from you. Um, but for today, listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette.